0: So I'm feeling a little bit um, excited tonight. <laughs> well, one just excited about having been able to sit quietly and feel the feel the great blessing of stillness and silence, and uh, being able to share it with you, and also some deep appreciation for uh, having been leading a retreat over the last five days and. And being uh, so inspired by by people really sincerely staying with the practice and watching as I as we always notice watching everyone deal with their demons and challenges and disturbances and transforming them into love and light and and uh, and wisdom and it's so clear that um, that the that our Nature is so much longs for, uh, for peace, for harmony, for, and that each of us has as our, our, our natural state, our inner nature, uh, this capacity that we are. We're always we're all Buddhas, and Buddha is, Buddha is you, and the way, as Ryokan puts it, the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you ever arrive? That's how the poem goes. So I've been—I'm re-inspired, and I was also excited because I know that tonight—I knew tonight, maybe you didn't know tonight—was the night that I would invite everyone here and afar to uh, to commit uh, to another, our third uh, period that we've done with this Sangha, with this community, our third period of 100 days, our third 100-day retreat. Tonight is is the starting night, even though it's officially beginning tomorrow, officially beginning tomorrow, September 5th, ending December 13th. So this, the, the title of this particular 100-day retreat, if you are so interested, and I highly, or I truly hope that you are, for your benefit and the benefit of all beings, first and foremost the being yourself, the beings who have to live with you every day, and all those that you may not be aware that you are touching just by your, um, by your, changing your heart and mind. And let me just back up a little bit. I have a deep intuition and sense from my own experience that the words of Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj are true, and he says it like this, The world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will be just the way it is. If we want a peaceful world, there has to be peaceful people. Peace is not something we can impose on the world. It must start within our hearts and minds. So one of the dedications that I have for this practice period, this 100-day retreat, is to cultivate peace. But... We will do this through, this is a very creative process, you can do this through many means. I entitled this 100 Days Back to School, which reminds us, at least my thought about it, is this is the time to let go of the summer. Let go of the summer you had, let go of the summer you may not have had. to, from this moment forward, do everything, as Ajahn Chah suggests, do everything with a mind that lets go, that lets be, that opens to life as it is. He says, do everything with a mind that lets go. If you let go a little, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. So our launch of this will naturally, I think for any of you who have framed your life right now as the end of summer, or, or many of you are maybe back to school, there is the inevitable letting go. But this reminds us, this is simply symbolic of the continual letting go that we have to do in this life. Was talking to Kevin uh, before the evening and reminding him of the dissertation that uh, one of uh, my colleagues or uh, and uh, a psychologist and meta teacher named Jack Engler did. He did a, a doctoral dissertation on the spiritual path and a phenomenological study where you find out from people what their experiences of the spiritual path and you in a phenomenological study you try to find the common themes and then you try to find theme clusters then you find constituent parts and then you f- finally you try to distill what the essence of the spir- of the experience is what is the spiritual path and he came up with one word at the end grieving that our sp- the spiritual path is learning the art of letting go. Of knowing that everything, as the Buddha said it, anicca cha vadasankara upadvaya damino wa niruchanti desang vupasamo sukho. Everything that has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings sukha, brings great happiness doesn't sound like the happiest idea, but the reality of, of being at odds or in contention with this reality brings, as my friend and teacher Joseph Goldstein put it, it, bring, it gives us rope burn. It makes us really uncomfortable. To be in harmony with this truth brings relief. It brings cessation. It brings the cessation of struggle. So we begin our practice period with doing, and perhaps every day of this hundred days, reflecting on impermanence as a central as a central reality of our life. The Buddha suggested actually five daily reflections, all, all, uh, at least most of them, being centered around the reality of impermanence. This is how he put it: There are five facts, O monks, and for our purposes, we're all considered monks, renunciates for this time, renouncing all the habits that lead away from the truth and make heart, the truth hard to live for, or believe even, as Sogyal says, to believe in that it even exists. We We practice a very joyous renunciation of all the things that blind us, and we try to open to reality. That's really what a commitment to practice is, to... to open to the truth, to open to the dharma, dharma meaning truth, the way it is, because it is out of our confusion, our lack of clear perception, that we keep living uh, in disharmony, that we keep going against the, the flow of life and then feel like we're apart from the flow of life. So this is what the Buddha said to the monks. There are five facts, O monks, which ought to be often contemplated upon by everyone, whether a man or woman, householder, or one gone forth as a monk. What five? I am sure to become old. I can't avoid aging. I'm sure to become ill. I cannot avoid illness. I'm sure to die. I cannot avoid death. I I must be separated and parted from all that is is dear and beloved to me, and then finally, this leads to why would, why it might be beneficial to practice wisdom and love for a hundred days. The last one: I must be separated and parted from all that. It, oh wait, sorry, I missed. <laughs> that was the last one. I am the owner of my actions, heir of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. Actions are my relations. Actions are my protection. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. So in this, four out of five are the reminder that, and the same reminders that turn the Buddha's mind toward the Dharma, that turned his, this human like ourselves who was confused, whose peace was disturbed, who was, who was unsatisfied, what turned him toward a life of harmony, a life of freedom, was a, a, a visit that, as you all probably mostly know the story, he, was, he came face to face with sickness, old age, and death. All those things that we see every day, but somehow because of the tendency to be somewhat oblivious and distracted and so much fixated on what we can get, we fail to see the reality of what's happening right in our midst. And a central question that came up in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, I forgot the, the dialogue where the question was asked, what is the most wondrous thing in this world? What is the most wondrous? That's kind of an interesting question. What's the most wondrous thing in this world? But the answer to the question was that millions upon millions are dying around us every day, but somehow we don't think it'll happen to us. That is the most wondrous thing in this world. As the Dalai Lama talks about our obliviousness, he says, When asked what surprised him most about humanity, he answered, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health, then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being he does not live in the present or the future, he lives as if he's never going to die, and then dies having never really lived. So the Dalai Lama, like the Buddha, is saying, die now before you're dead and live, die into life. Stop running away by running after. Stop being that, as Thich Han puts it, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living. Stop being the destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. And when I think of coming home, I think of the the fullness, the effulgence of being home. But also, coming home means face reality, face how it is. Face what you can rely on here and what you can't rely on. Unfortunately, you can't rely on distraction as a source of relief because when you do come back to reality, it makes reality even harder to bear. This has actually been born, born out in that, in that study that I often refer to the study that suggests that we, that we, uh, wander our mind wanders into the imagined past and future 46.9 percent of the time. It's kind of interesting how they quantified that. They, they got people. They they got uh, subjects to who were willing to be beeped, and they were beeped 250,000 times, and then asked what was happening at the moment they were beat. And 46.9% of the time, their mind was wandering. And often it was wandering when they were doing so-called mundane tasks. But what the study found is rather than the wandering actually helping them deal with these these, uh, so-called mundane tasks, The wandering, actually, when they came into awareness, it actually made it harder for them to do. And what actually makes it easier to do mundane tasks is to be fully present with it. But we have become habituated, partly because of the way we're wired, the way we're conditioned. That's partly our brain function, but it's something that the Dharma really addresses. It teaches us how to actually... uh, enter into and embody the experience that we're having instead of uh, be lost in virtual reality, in our imagination. So four of the reminders, four of the daily reflections are about impermanence. So it seems very central and something that I think in a hundred-day practice period, not only should it inform the practice of letting go, but I think it's something to just reflect on every, every day. So I would say that j- with each practice period, with each 100-day practice period, I have recommended in the past that, that you choose four different times during the day that you, that you do some kind of practice moving from just your little 30-minute or 15-minute or 5-minute sitting in the morning, expand to four periods, but they can be short periods. Short periods many times, and you don't have to limit them to three or to four, and you don't have to limit them to short times. You can have four long ones if you like. But to commit to putting yourself or orienting yourself to mindful attention, to loving kindness four times a day, But I would suggest that you, during one of those times, and why not the first time during the day, to really reflect on impermanence. You can even find a list of these five daily reflections and uh, contemplate them each day. The last daily reflection that I, that I shared with you before. I'm the owner of my actions, heir of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung actions are my relations, actions are my protection. Whatever actions I do good or bad of these, I shall be, become the heir. This is the to me the very inspiring reminder that the first and the first part of it is that we don't get away with anything. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Whatever we do with our, with our thoughts, whatever we do with our speech, whatever we do with our actions, the, these are our actions. These actions, whatever action, it, are seeds that we are planting. And each action, everything we do, produces results. So everything that we do every day is a practice, Everything we do repetitively. You your life as you experience it now is the result of what you have practiced. This life you have now, you are the heir of your actions. And of course you're the heir of many, uh, many non personal actions as well. You're part of a sea of interdependence. However, you have a as an individual, you have a central role in shaping your heart and mind. And shaping your life, and to me, as I look around the room, I consider you all extremely, extremely blessed. This is to me; it is pure grace to to find the Dharma, to find a, to find some understanding in this sea of confusion and sea of what the Buddha called the three poisons of greed, hatred, and ignorance. You've realized, to some degree, that. Peace is an inside job. You wouldn't be here if you didn't know that. You've, To some degree, you've exhausted all of the uh, excessive uh, focus on tomorrow and yesterday, excessive focus on accumulation and experiences. It seems if you're sitting down and keeping quiet, you're, you don't need experiences. You want to be free of experiences. You want to simply be free, be present, inhabit your life. So to me, the fact that you're even here is an expression of what the Buddha called a parmi, a parmi or purity, that the paramitas, the purifications, the perfections of a Buddha are already maturing and ripening in you. The fact that you've all not just heard teachings, but you've been willing to put them to practice, keep quiet and look within That's very rare in this world, and we really are, these are precious conditions that you have found yourself in, a precious life that you've been born into. Even though all of us have, by virtue of being born, uh, it is the leading cause of all kinds of stresses and problems, uh, even within that, you have found a way, a a means of finding balance and open-heartedness, even in the middle of it all. So for that we can reflect on our our good fortune, and we could also reflect that it's not by accident. It's it's the fruit of of what we have have done with our mind and body. It's the fruit of our conditioning. So if we want to understand our past, we can look at our present condition. But as Padmasambhava put it, if you want to understand your future, look at your present actions. What kinds of seeds are you planting today? So the encouragement is that we we plant uh, that we plant wholesome seeds, and the inspiring part of being the heir to our actions, owner of our actions, is that uh, is that we are we're mutable, we're changeable, we are creative beings. We are not just stuck in, even though we have maybe have the identity periodically of being stuck. Every moment, literally every moment, is a, a fertile, uh, open, empty field of creative possibility. Every moment is undefined and has the potential to be shaped by what we drop into it. Just like sitting in this room, I remember saying something like this yesterday at the retreat, but sitting in this room right now, this is an empty moment. It's an undefined moment. It has no inherent meaning at all until we ascribe some meaning to it. Until we and we may have a view, oh, I'm ready to go home. Or we may have a view, oh, I'd like to I'd like to be present here. Or I'd like to, now that I'm here, I'm feeling much more connected to everyone. I want I feel my heart opening. I want everyone to be filled with loving kindness. The moment itself, wide open. And depending on what my mind does, and a lot of what my mind will do will be what it has done habitually. That's if I want to understand my past, look at what my present habits are that pop up. But if I want to understand my future, I want to look at what I do. And I want to see if I can influence, influence the open moments that I have, that I'm present, that I'm here, that I'm awake, I want to influence those moments and have them imbued with, have them driven by what the Buddha called wholesome factors. I want the, the my moments, I want the life moments to be driven by what the Buddha called non-greed, non-hatred, non-ignorance. I don't want it to be driven by greed, hatred, and ignorance because that just leads to more confusion and suffering. I want them to be driven by love by altruistic intentions. I want them to be driven by patience and generosity and, uh, and clarity and um, compassion. And that really depends on what seeds I plant. It's not by accident. So I've already spoken to a few people who are, who've jumped the gun and embarked on their own hundred days couple weeks ago, and one person is doing, spending the month or the hundred days doing self-metta. Now she recognized it in her wisdom that what was a frequent visitor, remember she wanted to understand her past, so she looked at her present experience and she saw what was coming into her present experience. The frequent visitor was, I should be different than the way I am. Judgment. I'm, I'm just making this up right now, but you can imagine, she was probably hard on herself and, and not cutting herself much slack, and and this kind of chronic, chronic uh, inner critic, and holding herself hostage and uh, to some impossible ideal, and, and just never just all, a running commentary of of judgment. Any of you relate to that? Now, what could be a more wise way of of um, of, of healing that open field of fertile creativity than to drop into that field seeds of, of self-love, reminding herself of, that, of her deepest wish to be happy and be peaceful, to be safe and protected, healthy and strong, have ease in her heart and a sense of well-being. Over and over, wishing herself well, over and over, for a hundred days, Beginning to erase in every moment of mindful, heartful, loving kindness, loving attention, erasing a bit of that conditioning of hatred and replacing it with loving kindness. This is the power of this is the power of intention. And then another uh, another person who she's budding up with. And I also recommend, as a support, as a deep support for doing 100 days, is to find a buddy. Find a buddy, somebody that you can check in with. It will exponentially support your, help you keep the fire burning, and it will really enhance, and you'll learn from each other as well. It's a really beautiful sharing. It's a, it's a, it gives, gives intense meaning to the word Sangha, or community. It's just such a reminder that that nobody does this alone, and it's just such a um, such a shared uh, benefit to um, to do this together. But her her friend is doing uh, equanimity practice because she has a tendency. Again, I'm making this up. I haven't really gotten the whole detail, but she somebody who chooses equanimity practice that. What, when she looks to, if she wants to understand, understand her past and looks to her present experience, she starts to see this, the, the chronic tendency to, uh, to lose a sense of balance in relationship to the changing conditions of life, holding tightly and trying to control that which is changing uh, getting, not being able to sense what's her business and what's others' business and getting so far into other people's business like codependence or enabling that she doesn't know what the limitations of her, of her caring can bring. And so she loses a sense of balance and becomes blown by the winds of circumstances and unable to find her center. So what does she, what does she choose to plant? as her seeds in this open creative possibility, she plants the seeds of balance, of equanimity. Central in the practice of equanimity is the reflection that uh, everyone, and this in in terms, this is mostly in support of being able to find proper relationship with others, a proper proper sensitivity to how much influence you can have and how how much influence you can have on another before you become lost in another's reality and you lose your own sense of balance? What's the limitation? And uh, how can I care so deeply about this world but not be submerged by it? And so you reflect. All beings are the inheritors of their own karma. You reflect on that everybody's, everybody experiences the fruits of their actions. But then you add to it, a reminder that their happiness or their unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wish for them, so that I can learn to love people and care and do everything I can to help. But know that whether they get happy or not is beyond my will or wish, and so I can rest. I can find balance so that my so that my caring doesn't turn into despair and and uh, grief and and un- inability to function or if I just am fighting constantly with aversion or grasping for things to be different and aversion to things the way they are, I can remind myself of more stealth, more simple version of equanimity. Things are as they are, whether I like them or not. Things are as they are. As much as I would like life to be other than it is, things are as they are. And I reflect on that every day. So this would be the practice of equanimity. Planting that seed, I can feel it even as I say it. Things are as they are my whole system stops fighting, at least for that moment. And if I stop fighting, stop fighting, stop fighting, stop fighting, stop fighting, after 100 days, and of course this is a lifelong or many lifelong uh, pursuit, but getting launched for 100 days will change your mind. I notice that even if I do what I call a quickie, and I recommend many quickies, if I do a quickie, my quickies are find my body, Right now, find your body. Notice what happens. Find your body for a moment and then connect with your breath. Just know that you're breathing in. Feel that you're breathing in and breathing out. And then just very gently, for one moment or about 10, 20 seconds, scan your body from your head, your shoulders, your back, your front, your belly, your genital area, your tush on the cush, your legs your ankles and feet, your arms down to the tips of your fingers. Feel your whole body and scan it. And then feel right now for a few moments the mood. Feel the emotional tone, the weather. Is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? Is there any kind of flavor? Is it sad? Is it happy? Is it easy? Is it tight? Is it contracted? Whatever it is, just let that be felt. Don't do anything about it. And then just notice what you're thinking about if you're thinking about something. Just acknowledge that. Now, we just did a quickie. You do that in the middle. Nobody even has to know. That's why I call it stealth dharma. You can do it, and you can do it many times a day, but at least commit to four times and try to extend them if you can. This truly is this very life that we're living is precious, and not only this very life that we're living, but this very moment that we're living, is is so is so rich, is so healing, is so um, so much the source of of everything that we are longing for, especially peace. It is peace itself when we don't look ahead and we don't look back. And yet it's so easy to miss this uh, vital point while we're busy making other plans. So something has to give. I was talking to a friend earlier today, and I was thinking about how to talk about this, and we were talking about that phrase that, that that um, the phrase he, he or she was arrested for disturbing the peace. You know that? He was arrested for disturbing the peace. So the way I like to think of it is that we have all been arrested for disturbing the peace. And we have been put in the... This maybe sounds a little corny, but we've been put in the prison of our own... Uh, confused mind, disturbing thoughts, excessive proliferation and, and complication in our mind, and we've been put in the prison of a, a body that has been abandoned and ignored, in the prison of, of incredible tension and, um, and, um, and physical discomfort, a lot of which, some of it is inevitable, but a lot of it has been because we haven't cared for ourselves properly. We have, and it's all a result of not caring for the only life that we have. Not the idea of our life, not the story of our life, but the, but the living reality of you sitting here. That our whole practice is to, instead of arrested for disturbing the peace, rest what has been disturbed. To rest our bodies. And when we put our mind in our body, it brings a deep rest. Just even for those few moments. It lets the cells relax. It lets our nervous system chill out. Rest to tune in to what our body needs. What we need to eat. What, how, what needs to be stretched. Our heart that needs to be tenderized as we feel it in our body. And then rest rest that weary mind i said that during the instructions rest our weary mind that is uh, so disturbed and what do we use as our what do we use as our practice vehicle we use our disturbing mind we let our disturbing mind through this 100 days we let it remind us of our need of peace we let it remind us. Every single time we notice our mind is disturbed, we reorient ourselves to our mind being in our body here and now. For that moment, we stop looking back. We stop looking ahead. Stop looking sideways. Stop imagining ourselves and feel ourselves for a moment, just as you may be doing right now. And when you do that, it's really hard to find suffering when we're right here. And so we, we rest our weary mind. We, we use it all in behalf of, of fulfilling that, that longing to find peace in the middle of it all. Because we have to find a kind of stability, something that transcends birth and death and change. And it turns out that the more we orient ourselves to the present moment, the more we practice with loving kindness with generosity with with all the wholesome qualities that are part of our nature we awaken deep we more increasingly awaken to the deathless nature within our hearts the that in us which has followed us nearer than our breath from the moment we were born that is that is beyond that is beyond change the very consciousness through which we're perceiving is the buddha And so by every moment of being present, we return to the Buddha. We take refuge in the Buddha. You can call it anything you want. The deathless, the unconditioned, the unborn, nirvana. You are that. You are exactly where you are touching life and life is touching you is the the Buddha and the Dharma. That's truth right there. And you are it. Not somebody else. Not some historical figure, but you. What lives inside of the Buddha lives inside of you. What lives inside of me lives inside of you. What is it that is here when, uh, as I think it was Rilke, when all the stars are dead, what is still here? You are that. As Galway Canell put it, whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. So last but not least, since we're toward the end of our time, beside planting the seeds of peace, hundred days of planting the seeds of peace, of easing, of soothing our weary mind and and soothing our weary body, committing ourselves to to that practice of letting go of the imagined past, the imagined future, entering into the stream of change, finding comfort with change. What we also are continually practicing every day is either wise or unwise action. And the Buddha what is central to the Buddha's teaching is that wise action is the is the foundation wise action is the foundation for liberation it's the foundation for being able to live at peace in this very life and free and wise action includes wise livelihood wise speech it includes all all the the actions that can either be harmful or are not harmful. It's how we relate to uh, the life around us, whether we respect, whether we respect each other, whether we respect, res, whether we respect each other's property, whether we're exploitive in our sensual and sexual relationships, whether we harm people with our speech, with our actions, and the encouragement, as another way of practicing and remembering that that we, that our actions matter, the Buddha recommend that we live with certain training guidelines, that we practice every day purifying our actions. So he talked about three kinds of purity that lead to happiness, and he called the highest happiness peace. So you don't think of it as just a good mood. But three things lead to happiness. Purity of action. And if you don't purify your actions, it's really hard to do the next one, which is purify your mind. As he said, if, if you try to practice meditation, train your attention to be present, without and and you're still acting like an idiot in your life, sorry, then he said it's like trying to row a boat without untying it from the dock. So it's, Purity of action is what makes possible what he called purity of mind. Purity of mind brings the great joy of a mind that is stable and steady here, has continuous sense of presence that's not so scattered and wandering here and there. And brings it brings a great joy. And if you're able to have purity of mind, then you're able to have the, the great the cause of the greatest happiness— that, that is born of purity of view. Purity of view is when you really see clearly, see things as they are, see things in their simplicity, see that in a sight there's just what's seen, in a sound just what's heard, in a smell just what's smelled, in a taste just what's tasted, in a feeling just what's felt, in a thought just what's thought, rather than living so much in our dramatization of life that we see things just as they are, in their bare simplicity, and we bear witness to the, the rising and passing of things, but we rest in the joy of equanimity that sees things as they are. And out of that, our heart opens to the this great void, this, this great uh, freedom, or this great Buddha nature. But all of this depends on purity of action, on how you treat yourself, how you treat others, how you treat this earth. How do you treat the resources? How sensitive you are in terms of your footprint? How you relate to the opposite political party? <laughs> now, that's, I, I know you're thinking that's too much to deal with. <laughs> but I, I thought, in any case, I would share as a last thing uh, the five training precepts, and I think these are closely related to the ones that, uh, that Thich Nhat Hanh Shares. I think they're very applicable for daily life. Number one, and you can take these in inwardly. You can consider us all taking the precepts tonight, and hopefully this will last a lifetime, not just a hundred days. Aware of the suffering caused by violence, I undertake the training to refrain from killing or committing violence toward living beings. I will attempt to treat all beings with compassion. And loving kindness. Aware of the suffering caused by theft, I undertake the training to refrain from stealing, from taking that which is not given. I will attempt to practice generosity and will be mindful about how I use the world's resources. Number three, aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from using sex in ways that are harmful to myself or to others. I will attempt to express my sexuality in ways that bring joy and feelings of connection. Number four, aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech. I undertake the training to refrain from lying, from harsh speech, from slander, from idle speech. I will attempt to speak and write in ways that are both truthful and And appropriate. Number five, aware of the suffering caused by alcohol and drugs, I undertake the training to refrain from misusing intoxicants that dull and confuse the mind. I will attempt to cultivate a clear mind and an open heart. And I'd just like to punctuate these precepts with a few of the blessings uh, that one blessing that the Dalai Lama reflects on every day as part of his ongoing practice when he wakes up at two in the morning or three in the morning and does his four-hour sadna, his four-hour practice every day. You think it's an accident that he's as as immaculate as he is, as funny, as connected, as as equanimous as he is? It's not an accident. It's because of the seeds he's planted. Now, everybody has an innate temperament, but he's trained, and he's still training. He's not resting on his laurels. Here's what the Dalai Lama reflects on every single morning May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. And finally, a prayer from the Dalai Lama. I pray for all of us, oppressor and friend, that together we will succeed in building a better world through human understanding and love, and that in doing so we may reduce the pain and suffering of all sentient beings. I'll read it once more. I pray for all of us, oppressor and friend, that together we may succeed in building a better world through human understanding and love, and that in doing so we may reduce the pain and suffering of all sentient beings. And may our practice tonight and the blessing of our practice, the goodness from our practice, any benefits from our practice Be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. And may this hundred days of practice bear many, many blessings to be shared with all beings. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be filled with loving kindness and safety. Thank you. I know ma- maybe some of you weren't uh, so inclined to participate in the hundred-day retreat, but I hope you all do. I know you all will. No, but it, in, but I, I appreciate you letting me launch this for people both here and who may be listening, who may listen to this online. And uh, but I hope you will become a part of this, and and we'll periodically check in to see how we're how we're doing. Remember to find a buddy, and it starts tomorrow four times a day. And you can read about it just to get support for the form. You can read about it on our website, on the Facebook page. Isn't there a Facebook page? Use the Mission Dharma Facebook page. And also just a reminder that this room costs us $150 a week, $600 a month. So any help with the room rental is deeply appreciated. It's called Room Rental Donna. And any teaching that's offered here is offered freely and as my practice of generosity. And the invitation each time is for you uh, in order for for you to practice generosity so that we can just keep this wheel going for as long as we can. And the basket there is for Teacher Donna and Room Rental Donna. And if you want your Donna, your generosity to be tax deductible, you can write a check to the St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church and put Mission Dharma on the memo line and you can uh, get a tax deduction for it so the basket's over there thank you and good luck good luck good luck and don't have any excuses thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/ Donate.